Hello, this is Peter Woolfolk. First, let me say thank you so much for being a listener. Now, I want to alert you to our shiny new podcast website located at podpage.com. However, you can go directly to the podcast site located at www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. There, you can contact me through email. You can leave a voice message. You can leave a review. You can read an episode blog and frequently learn about the podcast guests. You might also want to suggest podcast topic ideas or even suggest a guest. You can also let me know if you would like to receive our podcast listener logo that you can post on your social media. So I look forward to hearing from you about our new podcast website, www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Public Relations Review Podcast and have a great day. Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast and to our listeners all across America and around the world. Now, although improving diversity and inclusion in the public relations field is on the upswing, one group that does not get the attention it should are Native Americans. So I am very pleased to announce today that my guest is a Native American, and she is Randy L. Teton. She is the public affairs manager for the Shoshone Bannock Tribes, and she is the point of contact for all external media, public relations, and cultural tourism. Randy was born and raised in southern in southeastern Idaho and is a member of the Shoshone Bannock Tribe of the Fort Hall Reservation. She has her degree in museum studies from the Institute of American Indian Arts and a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Art History from the University of New Mexico. Now she also interned at each of the National Museums of the American Indian Museums in New York City and Washington, D.C the Money Museum in Fort Collins, Colorado, and the Buffalo Bill Center of the West in Cody, Wyoming. Randy L. joins us today from the Fort Hall Reservation in Fort Hall, Idaho. So, Randy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you. Now, obviously, my very first question is, your background, at least educational background, is in the arts. So how did you make the transition from the arts to the public relations and public affairs area? Well, you know, let's just step back here a little bit, is nobody really thinks about what they're going to do when they become adults. But I was a little different. I actually grew up on the reservation, and nobody would know that, uh, you know, just by the sounds of my voice. But I was born and raised in the reservation uh, on our district called Lincoln Creek, on a road called Little Indian Road. My grandparents owned over 100 acres. That's where I was raised with both of my parents around horses. My grandparents definitely instilled in a lot of our family to always work, uh, be self-sufficient and independent. And so I actually joined a uh, tribal youth education program. And my first job was at our tribal museum here in Fort Hall. My mother was actually the manager of the museum, 
And nobody ever thinks about, oh, I'm going to work for my mother one day. But I actually just wanted the opportunity to see what my mom was doing every day. And one day she was doing a conducting a tour group and it was conflicted. And she actually had a group of Chinese come in at the same time during the German. There was a German uh, group tour. She felt that uh, she felt confident that I was able to uh, take one of the buses. And so I did. I ended up taking the Chinese bus and I provided a tour. It was my first tour. I took them down through our uh, historical lands. We got to see our buffalo, also look at some historical markers, uh, look at our flora and fauna. And when we came back, I amazed myself that I was able to conduct a, a tour, and I was only 14, 15 years old. I knew then that this is what I wanted to do, is share my tribal history with those that did not understand who we are as Native people. I wanted it to come from a tribal perspective. I also noticed that in our bookstore that we lacked a lot of tribal authors writing about us, our tribal history. And so I wanted to be able to make a change. And so I ended up going to school. Um, right after high school, I applied for a art school that had a specialized museum program and that's where I was able to attend and finish and really just start my career path which was to ideally be a curator of my own museum whether that was returning back to my reservation uh, to oversee our tribal museum or whether it was working at another museum in throughout America. That was my goal, and when I actually went through a lot of my internships and completed my undergrad at University of New Mexico, um, I returned back home, and I, I felt that the museum that uh, they did offer me a job, but the job was not at the pay rate that I needed to be at um, because, mind you, I, going away off the reservation, leaving the state, I had to take some loans out, um, but majority of my schooling was paid by scholarships. But like any other, you know, young person trying to get their schooling done, you know, I had to take some loans out. And so I actually did not take the job of leading our museum at that time because I needed to be paid a little bit more. So I ended up doing some contract work with smaller museums here in Idaho and I ended up, uh, interestingly, I ended up working for a commercial real estate company as an office manager and actually learned more about commercial real estate and how important it is to be aware of the land sales around my reservation and how it impacted. And so that really gave me a good opportunity to be more of an advocate for land sales, uh, whether that was from large families that have owned large land parcels here in our area. It really sparked an interest in, in pursuing more, I guess, advocacy of tribal government. I ended up falling in love, uh, got married, 
started a family and I needed to move closer to my reservation because of the uh, health services that our tribal health offers to our women. And so we, I ended up quitting my commercial real estate job and moving closer to home and ended up uh, getting involved with a nonprofit organization, uh, which paid fairly well and served about three years there as a community development specialist. And I got a taste for really community development work. And I was placed um, as the tribal liaison to my reservation. And so I, I was able to see the needs of services uh, that we needed to provide to tribal members living off the reservation, but close to the reservation. And so we were able to provide that. But along the way, the public affairs manager was a fairly new job title within the tribes. Uh, there was a need for a, a liaison to serve our leadership on the federal and the state level. And the lady who was hired, she was the first. And she uh, remained in that position for two years, but she ended up deciding to retire. And she asked me if I would be willing to be interim for the public affairs job. And at that time, I, I really didn't understand really what she, what her job description was. And um, interestingly, uh, her job description was about four pages long, uh, which was a variety of different tasks ranging from public relations, uh, legislative, research, writing, overseeing the tribal government website. And I only was able to train with her for two days and basically was given a, a thick binder of projects that were ongoing with leadership. And and that's where my life changed of really seeing the bigger picture of how our tribal government runs and how it's structured and, and just the important matters that this office oversees in regards to communication between the tribal government and our federal agents in Washington D.C. So, so in essence, you you had to hit the ground running. You sort of basically learned literally. on the job. Yes, literally. I I was told you need to be in all these meetings with the council to further understand what our perspective was. Uh, yes, it was it was definitely very busy, and it remains to be very busy to this day. <laughs> well, um, luckily, I'm a multitasker. Well, I'm, I'm glad you had the chance to uh, talk with us today. One of the other things, if you would just sort of briefly give it a, a description or help, because you mentioned reservations certain uh, several times, and one of the things that will maybe help folks understand or get a perception is, when you talk about reservation, how large an area, uh, particularly your region, are we talking about here? So my reservation, uh, we are the Shoshone-Bannock tribes located on the Fort Hall Indian Reservation in southeastern Idaho. And when people think about Idaho, they think about potatoes, which is accurate because a lot of our landscape are uh, agricultural fields of potatoes. 
but the state is actually shaped like a boot. And we are actually located um, in the lower uh, southeastern portion in, in what we call the foot area. The Shoshone-Bannock tribe was established in about the late 1860s, where the reservation was being formulated and a lot of our different Shoshone and Bannock bands were already residing and uh, camping throughout the Idaho, Nevada, Utah, Wyoming territories before there was boundary uh, or state lines. So a lot of our people were being rounded up and forced, forcibly removed to southeastern Idaho to the Fort Hall area. And so our reservation is comprised of a couple of bands, therefore how, how we received our name, the Shoshone Bannock. Now, our reservation is the largest. We have about 560,000 plus acres. Um, a lot of reservations are smaller, some are larger, um, but we are the largest in the state of Idaho. There are a total of five tribes in the whole state. We dominate the southeastern area, and as you move north to Idaho, you'll find the Nez Perce, uh, the Coeur d'Alene tribe, uh, the Salish Kootenai, but down in our area is predominantly the Shoshones. We have um, the Shoshone Paiutes, which are the western Shoshone, and then we are uh, considered the northern Shoshone. Um, but again, our land base is, is fairly large. I don't have a miles per miles, but I can tell you that it's a good drive. It's a beautiful drive. We have about 6,000 plus tribal members. Not all of us reside on the reservation. Mm -hmm. A lot of us do live in the nearby cities, um, and that's just because of the lack of housing that we have on the reservation. Do, we do own 98% of our land base, which is actually a really good high number. There are some reservations where a lot of their land base is not owned by the tribe. It might be privately owned by the families or tribal members. So a lot of uh, interesting facts when you think about reservations. Okay, well, I'll tell you now, let's really talk about the things that you do as the public relations or public affairs manager there. What are some of the activities of, that encompass you most in terms of getting information out or activities being conducted for your reservation? You know what? Uh, in a nutshell, um, I do everything and anything related to communications. I, uh, you know, my, my job is about two pages long, my job description. I actually handle a lot of the fun stuff. You know, I do have um, some projects that I oversee in regards to community development just because of my experience of working in the nonprofit sector before this job. I have a lot of connections off the reservation. So say, for example, uh, there's a need for providing services to the tribal youth. I'm able to connect the dots with a lot of the off-reservation uh, public and private schools. So that way, if they wanted to engage or collaborate or partner with the reservation, I'm able to make that happen. I'm also able to help uh, create the flyers. I put them out. I actually administer the tribe's social media sites, uh, the tribe's government website. 
So a lot of the information and content that is about our reservation, I oversee. If there's any changes, then I'm able to, to edit. Also, any media requests coming through, if there was a fire, there was a high-speed chase on the reservation uh, that involved off-reservation law enforcement, the reporters, the local reporters, that serve our region know to contact me for more information. So uh, my work cell phone is uh, basically available Mm 24-7. This job is not a Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. And that's the unique thing with me is that, you know, I am from this community. So it is very important for me to be available for anybody that is wanting some information about the reservation, Maybe there's a big reporter um, coming in from international or um, anywhere. Um, They're able to contact me and I'm able to assist as needed. Also, I have a direct relationship with our tribal leadership and our tribal department managers and directors. So if there's something that I don't know, it's very important for me to be able to pick up the phone and contact that appropriate department or director to get the correct information. So again, my job is about connecting and communication. So there's just a variety of different things that I oversee and and it's fun, but but also it could be stressful too because I'm the only person that is the point of contact. So, Well, let me just mention, uh, when you said connected, I was just looking at some of your background. And uh, you certainly are involved because uh, the Southeast uh, Idaho Business Journal named you uh, 20 under the 20 under 40 award persons. The uh, Also, the uh, Idaho Hometown Hero Medal Award that you received not too long ago. Uh, you have been selected as the Trailblazing Women of Idaho, of which only 100 women, I understand, got that one. 100 Years, 100 Women Projects, so forth and so on. And you were a member of the Pocatello Idaho Rotary Club, the liaison with the Idaho State Historical Society, the Southeast Idaho High Country Tourism, and the board member for the Museum of Idaho. So I can see that you certainly stay busy there. Now, when you said uh, <laughs> some of the uh, surrounding areas, what cities are close to you and how do you relate to the media in those cities? So we, uh, our reservation has a few cities that are outlining to our reservation, and we're very lucky to have these cities. The city is Pocatello, which actually is named after one of our Shoshone chiefs, uh, Chief Pocatello. Also Blackfoot, which has no relation to the tribe, uh, the Blackfeet tribe. It has no relation whatsoever. So Blackfoot, American Falls, Pocatello, uh, those are the outlining cities that our reservation is sits next to. So they are our neighbors. And it is very important for myself as the public affairs manager for the tribes to maintain a good, solid relationship with those city officials, the counties, county officials, um, also the school boards, because a lot of our tribal youth do attend the public school systems. I think that when people think about a reservation and the people that are members of that reservation, there's an automatic thought that that a lot of us uh, work exclusively on the reservation and that our children attend the tribal schools. But that is incorrect. We are very fortunate that our parents 
that we have options. So if we have a tribal family living in Pocatello, for instance, they have a choice of sending their children or child to our tribal high school. We do have a tribal high school or sending them to the local public school. So it just really depends on what they would like to do. Some schools are are based solely on sports and athletics or band. And um, so there's just a variety of different factors. But we are very fortunate because it also enables our people to have options with health care. We do not have a hospital on our reservation, but we do have two health clinics that do provide our health care, our basic health care, so dental, eye, but anything needed for surgery, we do rely upon our local hospitals for that. So again, it's very important for our tribe to maintain a good, solid relationship with the local cities. Now, there might be some conflicting issues or historical issues that we might have but overall, it is important for us to maintain relationships regardless, um, and that is part of my job. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just uh, drop this in right quick. I just wanted to uh, let our listeners uh, know that this episode is sponsored by Burrells, the media relations planning, monitoring, and measurement services professionals, Burrells. So what are some of the other things that perhaps we have not talked about that are uh, integral to you doing a great job out there? And Things like, I mean, you mentioned you oversee your social media. How about radio stations? Do you have a local radio station there or a closed-circuit TV on the reservation? No. Um, unfortunately, that's something that we wished we have. Uh, we had, but we do not. We actually do rely upon the local. Uh, there's a university, Idaho State University. They do have a radio station um, that we do and are invited frequently to their radio programs. And if we have a, re- a radio PSA, we're able to buy certain spots on there. But uh, yes, we do maintain uh, relationships with the radio stations, the local TV stations. I do have reporters that I have worked with with for over 10 years, and it's, and it's always good to have those relations because they can just text me or call me at any time and ask uh, what the tribes are doing or, or what's really happening. And that makes a huge difference because a lot of our people do listen to the radio stations. They do watch the local TV stations. And so when the COVID hit, for example, uh, because of my, my expertise in the communication background, I was given uh, the COVID PIO, public information officer hat. And so uh, since the pandemic has started here, I have also been wearing that hat, and a lot of our PSAs have been shown on TV, uh, radio spots, also shared with uh, the other local regional health clinics and hospitals. And so I'm able to add the cultural component that is needed when when communicating uh, with both reservation and off-reservation individuals. Another thing I wanted to add is that Economic, economic data is so important to understand and to also allow the off-reservation uh, economic 
offices understand that how tribes provide to the local economy. And we actually started gathering the data in 2010. We had our first economic info sheet that we prepared for our local legislators and the federal on what the tribes provide. And just recently in our last report, the Shoshone-Bannock tribes contributed a total of $450 million to the regional regional economy. We actually were able to create about 2,742 direct jobs in the regional economy. Well, let me and, ask you right quick, what drives that amount of money? In other words, you said uh, $400 million. How is that generated? What happens there that allows that to happen? Agriculture. Okay. It's it's agriculture based. That is our our um, our number one revenue. A lot of people would guess the casino, but no, it's actually our agriculture for us. Secondary is our casino. We do have one large casino and then two mini casinos that are located uh, strategically throughout our reservation. So we don't just have one. We have two other smaller mini casinos. And so a lot of this, uh, the numbers is driven by our enterprises, our tribal government, our casino and our hotel. So we're able to hire uh, not just tribal people, but also non-tribal for some of our bigger um, positions. And so we, it's interesting, but the tribes contributes about 110,000 acres of irrigated agricultural lands, which we have tracked to bring in 150 million in revenues each year. Mm-hmm. And this is big. I mean, I mentioned this earlier is that our reservation, you know, has some pristine soil that is ideal for potato harvesting. So we do lease our lands to local farmers that uh, these farmers are actually third, fourth generation farmers. You know, for the Shoshone-Bannock tribes, you know, it's, it's all about agriculture. It's about having good relationships with the local government entities and having them understand that we are just as influential in the economic data for the state of Idaho. Now that you've mentioned that, let me just ask you, is there one area of misperception that you think too many people have of, of Native Americans? And if so, what would that be? And how would you see that being corrected? A constant misperception is we live in teepees. We also speak the same language, powwows, that we all dress the same, and that the drums, it's all one song and that we all understand it. Those are the misperceptions that I have seen, and I travel to D.C. quite often. I also participate in a lot of off-reservation meetings where a lot of people assume that the reservation is is closed off to just reservation people. That is inaccurate. We are very welcoming to those to come out to stay at our hotel, eat at our restaurants, uh, get the gas. We have tobacco. We have our cultural beadwork. We've got a lot of amenities that is very unique that you cannot find elsewhere. But yet a lot of people have this 
fear, it seems, of going onto a reservation and thinking that they're not welcome or they're going to be treated unfairly. Mm -hmm. So I would just like to say that that is a misconception and a lot of reservations now are very welcoming to people, to the tourists, to come out and learn more about the culture and understand who they are as a thriving people. Because we're still here, the pictures or the books that a lot of people read about Native peoples, you see chiefs, and not every tribe has a chief. And we have different words for what we call our leaders. They're not called chiefs. And you don't want to go to a reservation and say, hey, I want to meet your chief. You cannot say that. That is very disrespectful. So just being mindful of who they are. And a lot of us do have websites. And so I would recommend that if you would like to visit or know more about your local reservation, uh, Google them. Uh, go to their official website. Learn more about what their uh, traditional name is and who they are as as a living culture right there in their state. Well, you know, one of the other things that I think that a lot of people may have missed is that uh, the new Secretary of the Interior, the United States Department of Interior, is uh, mm-hmm. a Native American, and I believe that's the first time that's happened. Yes, it is, and she's a good friend of mine. Yes, Deb. <laughs> um, well, congratulations. Yeah, we're so we're so uh, we're we're so blessed to have her there. I've met her, uh, you know, again within my work and doing uh, the things that we do here with the tribal government, and she's just an amazing lady, and we're just so proud of her. And I'm seeing a lot of changes. I mean, just recently, the National Park Service hired a the first Native American deputy uh, superintendent of a national park. That's huge. So we are starting to see changes and we're starting to see the recognition of the fact that Native peoples are just as smart as any anybody else. We go to school. Our schooling is not fully paid by the tribes. I think that's another misconception is that tribal people are given free education and free health. That is not entirely true. A lot of our people that have a lot of major health conditions, um, they are just like anybody else. They have um, they have to apply for Medicaid or, or some other form of health services just to help pay their bills. And so there's a lot of misconceptions out there that I just wish that people would, you know, understand that you know, for us, we have a treaty with the United States government. Ours is called the Fort Bridger Treaty. And not all tribes have tr- are a treaty tribe. Um, that's also another misconception is that all the tribes are treaty tribes. And because we have that unique treaty, there are certain provisions that were promised by the federal government. And those are the things that we are constantly fighting for with all these changes in presidents. And um, that's why a lot of tribes have to go and travel to D.C. and advocate for, hey, this is what was agreed in a treaty with us. So that's why you have a lot of Native Americans traveling to Washington, D.C., advocating and constantly lobbying. I understand. Well, let me say, uh, Randy, you have provided us with a wealth of information here. 
I am so, so happy you had a chance to uh, come on our podcast. And by the way, uh, the next time you speak to the uh, Secretary of the Interior, let her know that you are on the Public Relations Review podcast. <laughs> I sure will. <laughs> Matter of fact, we'll, we will send you a copy of the uh, completed show so you can have that to your files. And, and if you'd like, you can also put that on your uh, website or however you want to handle that. Yes, certainly. Love to do that. Okay. And I really uh, appreciate you reaching out, and I appreciate the time of sharing a perspective of a Native American in PR. I think that there's not a lot of us. And I would advocate for our younger generations to consider going into public relations because it is definitely a very needed field. To me, it's about telling our story from a tribal perspective and also being able to provide uh, that cultural integrity when talking about tribal communications. So thank you so much. Well, one of the things that I promise you I will do is that uh, once the podcast is completed, I will send a copy of it to the uh, Diversity Committee for the Public Relations Society of America so they'll have a chance to listen to this. And if they need to, perhaps they'll follow up with you. Wonderful. Well, once again, uh, my guest today has been uh, Randall Teton. She is the Public Affairs Manager for the Shoshone Banner Tribe, and she joins us today from the Fort Hall Reservation in Fort Hall, Idaho. So once again, thank you so much, Randy, for your for joining us. Uh, let me thank our listeners again for uh, being loyal and listening to us. If you've enjoyed it, give us a great review. And we look forward to you joining us for the very next edition of the Public Relations Review Podcast. Many thanks to our sponsor, Burrell, for making this episode possible. Check out a special offer just for Public Relations Review Podcast fans at Burrell's.com forward slash Public Relations Review Podcast, and thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us. Hi, this is Peter Woolfolk speaking. Now, first of all, thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. Now, I am very excited to let you know that the podcast is now available on Amazon Alexa. You know the drill. Simply say, Alexa, play Public Relations Review Podcast, and she'll take it from there. And again, thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the program, please become a subscriber. Now, on to the podcast. <laughs>